to Two Real Witches. Hello and blessed be, I'm Oak. And I'm Danny. And we're just a couple of practicing witches seeking initiation into a Gardnerian tradition of Wicca. Every full moon and new moon, we're discussing things we're learning and researching, sharing magical discourse. And hold space for other witches to do the same. We are two real witches, shooting the shit and nerding out on magical topics. So if you're into the occult, the esoteric, or the otherworldly, come hang out with us in the liminal space of sound. In today's episode, we're going to review ancestral veneration and share a little bit about our practice. Um, But before we get started, I want to know, catch up, what you up to? What's going on with your classes, workshops, books? What are you reading? Yes. Uh, Thanks for asking, Danny. (laughs) Um, For my air updates, uh, I would um, point to a couple of things. Uh, I just did finish the book that uh, I was started last time I think we talked, which was The Modern Witchcraft with Greek Gods. with was it? Uh, yeah, Astrea Taylor and um, Jason Mankey. And there was a really great part about Hestia in there, which is oh, awesome nice. because Hestia is not well documented in so many places. And um, the book is really cool because it creates like both, uh, you know, they're getting as much factual, historical um, documentation um, as possible, but then they're also having people other than them kind of like chiming in and sharing personal practices and also personal like gnosis of the deities. And then they also share like example rituals that you could do using the different deities. So yeah, it was a really, um, informative and practical book and, uh, and also like just really easy to read. So would highly recommend nice. for anybody who is looking deeper into uh, working with Greek gods. I also um, am just super excited about this magazine. Everybody loves a magazine, you know, being able to read <laughs> little short articles. I'm here for it. Yes. Um, the Mountain Astrologer. And we can link um, the actual website, uh, but it is beautiful. It is the cover and the art often in these magazines that are like pagan magazines or like occult magazines. The art is like a little, like, like a homie. (laughs) Uh, it's very, very DIY looking. And this art is just like beautiful and amazing. And so I'm excited to order their back issues of previous um, releases that they've had. And they go all the way back to like 2020. So I'm going to both subscribe and order some back issues. Um, You know, it has some really cool tips uh, around astrology. Like they just did their like best of 2022 reviews. And they had, sorry, that's Nelson clicking and clacking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They had their best of like uh, astrology podcast, astrology websites, astrology tools. And so based on like who won, I was able to then go find like a new astrology podcast. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's going to be a really great resource. Nice. Yeah. How about you? Any air updates? Um, so I started a shadow work journal, um, and this one came pretty highly recommended and it's pretty popular out there. So I thought I'd just start it, work through it. I haven't delved through enough of it to really give like a, a good opinion, but it's the, um, Luna and soul. Um, I guess 
shadow work journal. Um, I kind of don't want to write in it. It's very pretty. Um, and so I'm like, do I, do I just write in a journal? Like, do I just answer the prompts and do the work in the journal? Um, so I might, I might not, but I actually went and had it like printed and bound, um, because it was passed to me like as a, a PDF version. So I went and had it like printed and bound. And so I wanted to kind of preserve it in case, you know, someone else wanted to use it, but that's what I'm kind of getting into recently. Oh, where did you find this? Yeah. Um, so just through some of the Facebook groups that I keep up with, um, some of them, actually a couple of the groups had it like in their resources tabs. And so I was like, hmm, need to look more into that. That's right. Shadow work isn't just for Salon. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right. So let's get into some fire updates. So talking about some actions. Um I sound like I've been yelling at a concert uh, because I have. <laughs> um, I just got back from New Orleans last night, um, and the uh, the reason that we traveled there, my partner and I, was to see the Cure. This was their first tour date of this tour, and oh my god, so was it everything. Good. It was everything. It was everything. And Robert Smith is like, I don't know, 65. I should probably Google it. He's probably like, don't age me. But because um, he's <laughs> listening to our podcast. I don't know if you did No, I didn't that. know that. <laughs> okay. Um, so clearly, <laughs> you know, old Robbie Smith is uh, tuning in to Two Witches. Um, but his voice is so beautiful. And they played for like two, two and a half hours. And nice. he sounds so just, yeah, he's taken very good care of his voice and it was really, really impressive. Um, so yeah. Um, and you know, of course we did some other things and went to all the, you know, occult stores and we had a really cool food tour, um, that I would recommend for sure. I'll, I'll put a link to that. I guess I should probably just do like a little resource of things that I know to be good in new Orleans. Like maybe have that, um, in our, socials. Um, but I also went to a like local bar that was there because, um, there was a dark wave, um, band playing that I had heard of previously. And, uh, so we went to this like local place called Santos and the show was like, mm, not great. The sound was, was rough, but I'm also like a total snob when it comes to like sound production and shows because yeah. I've been to so many shows <laughs> over the years. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. How about you? What's your uh, fire update? Um, so I had started making those oils. Um, and mm -hmm. so I just put my first one together. Um, I actually posted it. It's on um, my witchy Instagram um, at Danny at the Southern Hollers of the Southern Hollers. And so um, it's up there along with like exactly what I put into it because um, – Sharing's caring, you know, um, but it turned out really well. Like I really enjoyed it. My daughter was like, what is that? That smells amazing. And I was like, yes, I win. I won. That's awesome. um, yeah. So nothing too crazy. Um, I did start the rose petal wine from Beltane. So going great. Awesome. And so the, the rose one is for Beltane? Next year's. Yep. Next year's. Okay. All it's right. really pretty. It's like this like really deep pink color. It's really beautiful. It, it looks really nice. In a is it, that's just naturally from the roses itself. Mm -hmm. or? Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, cool. All right. So uh, I guess water updates. Yeah. <laughs> this would be like 
you know, kind of, uh, feelings. Where are we emotionally? Um, uh, I just got, you know, had two weeks off from work, which was amazing. Um, and you know, so I, number one, realized that I'm really good at not working. I'm like, I can keep myself (laughs) so busy. I'm ready for retirement now. Um, there's so many hobbies and things. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm ready. People are like, no, you can't retire. Cause then you won't know what to, to do with your time. I'm like, uh-uh, not absolutely not <laughs> now when you're a witch and there's like a, the world's mysteries to discover. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling really decompressed, not stressed, super blessed. Um, <laughs> but wanting to kind of carry that back into my real world. Um, and, you know, really wanting to commit to, you know, back to my journaling practice and just staying grounded. Um, I ha- I'm, I'm starting to dip my toe into researching, um, more like ceremonial magic stuff. Um, and th- I could kind of go off on a tangent here, but, um, there is a really <laughs> cool, um, classic ritual that was devised by like, you know, the order of the golden dawn. Um, it's called the lesser ritual of the pentagram and, um, it's steps. It uses angels names. And I know that that's not always comfortable for people. I think I've heard of this. I haven't looked too far into it. Yeah. And there are, you know, multiple versions of this. Um, there are like, that's kind of like the baseline ritual and it's a mental exercise that, you know, is advised to be performed like twice a day up to like four times a day. Um, you know, cause we all have that kind of time, but I'm gonna try it once a day. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm going to do this, uh, and, um, yeah, really kind of use that along with journaling to kind of stay grounded and try to hold on to, um, you know, my, my just chill vibe right now. Time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How yeah, about no, you? What's what's flowing through your life? You know, it's this March through July time, right? Oh, yeah. We're like smack dab <laughs> in the middle of it. Um, so I'm just trying to like craft kind of livable harmony. Um, I, I don't love the word balance when we talk about like work-life yeah. balance because uh, there never is a balance. There's that this doesn't happen. So instead of like harmony, like how do I create a life where like I'm meeting expectations here and meeting the things I want to hear and, and like making those things work out. Um, so which is kind of part of what led me to this, this shadow work thing is like, how do I both get everything done, but at the end of it, not be so burnt out that I'm not enjoying any of it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I also am just keeping in my mind, like things from here only like digress. So, um, sports season is essentially over slash going to start back up here in a month, but, the main part of it isn't until December of next year. So things are kind of slowing down there. Um, work things will kind of hit a, a head right around July, but then they'll slow down from there. So I'm just trying to like, all right, we're on the the downward, the downhill roll from here. So um, things really only get better from here. Yeah. And then why don't you tell us like, it's all terrible and it only gets better from here. Yay. <laughs> it can only go up. You know what I'm saying? Real, real, real world. Like it. But why don't you tell us earth stuff? What what have you been buying? So, What's going on in your life? What challenges well, are you having right now? Um, honestly, I've been like resisting really purchasing anything and bringing new things in. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm blessed in a lot of ways. Uh, and so focusing on, you know, appreciating and having gratitude through, um, what I have is, is really kind of where I'm at right now. I might, I'm, I'm thinking considering like a no buy, especially specifically around like magical stuff, um, mm-hmm. like a no buy period of time. Um, and just working with, you know, what's around me, but, um, I, yeah, so I'm really trying to focus more on like inner landscape and like mental discipline. Um, I had an experience recently with Danny, you'll know this, uh, with being by myself and my thoughts for an extended period of time. And, um, you know, it was really powerful in a lot of ways. And it was also really eye opening in how much I could continue to build in that area. I think that was one of the kind of lessons that I had as I was spending a lot of time in my own head. That sounds like I went to jail. Speaking of which. (laughs) And it sounds like I went with you. (laughs) We shared a cell. (laughs) We got locked up and we couldn't talk to each other. No, no, uh, it's something that's, uh, you know, um, part of our outer court experience that we're not talking about. (laughs) <laughs> because some things have to be hidden and uh, it's not oath bound per se, but it's also not something that everyone will experience because it's specific to our outer court. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, it made me think about, um, I'm like, wow, you know, being left with your thoughts alone for a long time is, can be really magical. It could also be like really torturous. And that made me start thinking about um, Damien Eccles. Do you know Damien Nichols, that whole story? I think, okay. I don't think I do. So I highly recommend if anybody has not watched this video, it's from like the aughts, I think. I don't know. I should have looked it up beforehand, but it's called Paradise Lost. And it's a documentary about these three boys who were charged with the murder of another uh, person during satanic panic. And because they, you know, listen to rock music um, and because they, uh, you know, read occult books they were really demonized and they were found guilty with like no true just (laughs) uh, cause and a really shitty trial. And, um, and so Damien Eccles and the other people that also went to jail spent 18 years in prison on death row. They were sentenced to death and there were legal, legal appeals and all of these things, but his story is so like, crazy. And, and, you know, the time that we're in right now, it's hard for us to imagine that, but it's not that long ago. You know, it's, it's within my lifetime. Like that happened when I was an adolescent and I'm not that old. Uh, so (laughs) things can, um, quickly, um, change in the public opinion. And we have seen a lot of that change recently with women's rights. Um, so at any rate, I, I, I could go on, like I said, in this topic, um, but just the idea of somebody sitting with their thoughts for 18 years in solitary confinement mm-hmm. for the majority of that time facing death. And then, you know, he really developed himself um, as a magician during that time period because he was allowed to read books and he was allowed to, of course, meditate and, you know, do anything he could do in a cell like that. And it is just mind blowing to me and really aspirational. Um, clearly I don't 
want <laughs> that experience. Yeah. Uh, I clearly would never wish that on anybody, but the fact that he was able to, and I'm sure it wasn't always like this disciplined, magical and, you know, divine, but the fact that he was able to spend that amount of time meditating and building his inner world is really like mm-hmm. inspirational to me. And I think that, yeah, that's, that's the challenge that I'm giving to myself right now, which is like, I'm really pretty good about controlling uh, my thoughts around seeing opportunities rather than challenges. I think this whole, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the product of, uh, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. um, the manifestation movement around like the secret, right. The idea of like, mm-hmm. continue to think about what you do want and like, don't, um, there's not no need to dwell on what you don't want, just dwell on what you do mm-hmm. want and then fine. And you'll, you know, you'll solve that problem. And so I'm, I'm really pretty disciplined in that area when it comes to manifestation, I would say in the other areas of things like deity contact, you know, ancestral veneration, those are more of a stretch for me because I haven't practiced mm-hmm. that, you know? So, um, yeah, my challenge to myself is building my inner world. Can you tell my cold brew just kicked in? Sorry for no. that ramble. Alicia. No, I loved all of that. I know that name though. Is he, he's yeah. an author. He is an author. He um, has three books. Magical books. Okay. I was like, I and, know that name, but I and, can't. And honestly, like I was not, I mean, I was thinking about him briefly because of the time that we spent, but the fact that I went to New Orleans, he has moved in the last few years to New Orleans. And so he had these like really cool tours on YouTube as I was researching like different places to go. Um, and yeah, I just kind of went on a rabbit hole watching some of his content. And, um, the, you know, he's, he's very much like ceremonial magician plus Zen Buddhist, which is an interesting combination. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lesser, um, the lesser, uh, uh, ritual of the pentagram is something that, you know, he definitely started with and it's something that a lot of people do, but that's certainly what kind of put it on my radar again. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely check him out. It's, oh. it's really, really interesting, um, story. And, um, it's, I don't know, like what a saint, you know, like, a, like a witch mm-hmm. saint, um, and a martyr right. in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. With great How about sacrifice you? comes great Sorry, things, what? you know? No, I was saying with great sacrifice comes, that's where, you know, we talked about sacrifice and the idea of sacrifice. And while I think putting yourself through unnecessary sacrifice doesn't always yield the kind of results that you're looking for. In that case, it wasn't like he had a choice. And so that in that sacrifice for something so great to come out of it off of such an awful, terrible experience, like, you know, that's that's yeah. great that he got that experience awful that him and those other people lived through that yeah yeah i mean he, but he has like brain damage and you know his eyesight was you know thoroughly challenged and he has like ptsd for sure obviously um but the fact that he was able to use that in a functional way is amazing um yeah, yeah. what's going on with you uh now that I've um, talked about <laughs> martyrdom, you're, <laughs> keeping no, it light. You're so, you're so great over there. And I'm, meanwhile, you're like, I think I'm going to go on a no buy. And I'm like, listen, let me tell you what I just bought. Um, <laughs> it's I. Um, it's on, only because like if you, my partner literally like just came in my ritual room and was like, oh, this looks like a witchcraft store. Um, and I was like, ooh, okay. So that means I need to stop buying things if I look like the store. Okay. All right. <laughs> 
or or it just means it was very well put together and it looked oh. very organized, right? Okay, you're That's, right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I bought a um, mortar and pestle, but an old wooden one, like an antique one. Like it's it's cracked in the bottom. It clearly got some really good use out of it. Um, nice. But it's a really tall stand one. Like I have ones in my kitchen that are like small, small batch kind of things, but I wanted a large one to make incense in. And that would be like not used for any kitchen stuff or anything mm-hmm. like that, um, that I could like confidently mix up some things that aren't supposed to be ingested. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I just love it. It's so beautiful and it's so well-worn and I like cleansed it and I just giving me all the happy witch vibes. So, uh, really pumped about my new mortar and pestle. Yes. Um, and then, uh, our ancestor altar, I've been buying a lot of stuff to like outfit it now that my partner has gotten on board with putting, um, his family members on there. So, um, again, we'll talk about it as part of this episode, but, um, including like, a plant for everybody and then like planters that kind of like speak to who they were as people and uh, trinkets that belong to them or that represent something about them. So kind of outfitting that uh, space has kind of yes. been my, my focus lately. I love that. That's so awesome. Um, okay. Well, those are our elemental updates in our, which up to uh, <laughs> segment. I'm going to, I'm really trying to, uh, get on the jingle for that section. I'm, I'm going to try, I'm, I'm prioritizing it. It's important to my life as part of our editing process. Um, but before we get into today's topic, which is, as Danny pointed out, ancestor veneration, um, we have to say happy Mother's Day, Danny. We're recording on Mother's Day. You're taking your your special time to hang out with me. And so I just have to say happy Mother's Day. So sweet. Thank you. Yeah, I'm feeling uh, very motherly. Um, I spent my morning like uh, getting everybody out of bed and doing the things, you know, the normal stuff. Um, and then promptly kicking them out of the house so that we could record. Um, <laughs> And then just outfitting um, my ancestor altar. So the moms on my ancestor altar, putting out flowers and stuff for them, uh, getting coffee put up for everybody and all of that. So yeah, feeling very, very loved and motherly and in that happy dappy space. Oh, you're so cute. Your your kids got it good. I don't know if they know, but I hope they know. I'm going to tell them. Um, (laughs) uh, Okay, so we are going to be approaching today's uh, ancestral veneration topic the same way that we have been setting up, which is, again, based on elemental. So we're going to go through kind of the air aspect. So this would be um, definitions or maybe um, uh, references on the topic. Uh, We'll go through fire segment, which is going to be actions and things you can do um, on the topic. We'll get into the water segment, which is about history of the topic and kind of some feelings around it. And then finally, we will approach the topic uh, being inspired by earth. So this will be as uh, we integrate these things, um, what are some challenges or some obstacles that may arise? What are some um, problematic or practical things that we're going to experience as we start to integrate these um, these topics? So we're going to start with, as I said, air. And um, Danny, I think you had some reference for us on the topic. Yes. Yeah. Um, so ancestor veneration 
I feel like is something that's always been a part of my family and that there's always been this great respect for ancestors and wanting to like remember them. But as far as how to build a practice, that was never something that was kind of passed down to me or anything that um, was really explored in my family. And so um, I actually had picked up a book about ancestor veneration that was just phenomenal. Um, it really approached this subject that can be really touchy, um, especially for people who maybe don't have family structures like a nuclear family or have um, even family members that like exist outside of their immediate family. Um, it really approaches that topic for like how to deal with those mundane aspects and, and how do we kind of work through those and what could you do instead. And so the book is Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration by Mallory Valdois, V-A-U-D-O-I-S-E. It's French and I'm awful at French. I'm so sorry. Um, But it's a phenomenal book. Um, The way that the author kind of broke down like what is ancestor veneration? What is ancestor worship? What do you do if you don't know these people? What if you do, what do you do if you do know these people, but you don't? enjoy them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do we explore that? Um, and just all kinds of things. So even past like offerings and, um, how do we honor them even into like, well, what if they really liked alcohol and they were an alcoholic? Is, is it mm-hmm. wrong of me to put alcohol on the ancestor offer? Like she, she really just broke down all of that. And it was really just a phenomenal book. That's awesome. I haven't read that Maybe you'll have to let me borrow it since I'm in a new Uh, 100%. I'll bring it the next time that we get together for sure. Awesome. Uh, As part of this kind of air section as well, I think it's worth pointing out some definitions or maybe some um, points of separation of the topic. So um, ancestor veneration, I think everyone listening to this podcast is going to know what we're talking about, which is trying to connect with, create relationship with um, worship, if that word isn't triggering for you. Um, People who are either directly in your previous family line or maybe part of a larger ancestral um, DNA um, or potentially, you know, ancestors, there's some other way that you're connected to them, right? So ancestors could be family, but it could also be people who are within your magical tradition as an example. Um, So ancestor is pretty a wide um, topic and can be defined in a couple of different ways. I think that it's also worth pointing out within just um, our American uh, muggle world, (laughs) some ways in which ancestor veneration um, pops up. Uh, One thing that I I was reading some articles about the topic, of course, and one thing that came up, which I thought was so intriguing, was the idea that, you know, in the modern complex of burial, death, and how we as a culture deal with um, bodies that have expired. Um, The idea that we embalm bodies still is almost creating this thought that we clearly think that something is happening where we need to preserve the body. And it's not just always for the purposes of, you know, having a open casket, um, ceremony. Um, Even people who have closed caskets are still embalmed and we really don't need that to be the case. There's a lot of people within the death movement now that are talking about how unnecessary, expensive, and potentially like biologically damaging that is to the environment. Um, 
so that's just, you know, the fact that we embalm is a like really interesting choice for us because we have refrigeration. Uh, so right. that's not actually needed. Um, and the other thing that I think we can point to in our modern world is in the U S at least is like Memorial day. So Memorial day is like, we are often remembering the people who have passed on in service, um, mm-hmm. of our country and remembering people who have, um, you know, given their lives, quote unquote, for, for our country and for quote unquote freedom. Um, so yeah, just interesting to see that pop up. I think a lot of people, um, may not have the idea of ancestor veneration or worship as part of their daily, um, experiences the way, you know, Danny, you were kind of coming up. I certainly didn't have that. Um, while we would remember people fondly, it wasn't something that was talked about in my regular day to day. So it's, it's funny to think of just Memorial day is like us remembering literally our national ancestor veneration. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think, I mean, we also would see, it's a topic that is more and more um, popular and accepted. I think a, a big part of that is because of uh, was it Dis- Pixar? Pixar having the yes. the Coco, yeah, yeah Disney <laughs> Pixar, yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, our our family, we love that um, movie, and I'm sure that historically and and culturally, it's probably not the most accurate thing in the world, but. Um, we love that. And, and there's those connections, right? The ofrenda, like having a, a space where you honor your ancestors. Like my, my kids have that connection where they're like, oh, it's like our, our altar that has like Papa and Nana and, you know, all these people. That gives me here. goosebumps. So it's cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so cool. Um, and the other thing I would say uh, as just kind of part of this air topic is you know, we just finished our two-part um, series, I guess two, it qualifies enough as a series, uh, <laughs> conversation on deity worship and now we're, of course, transitioning to ancestor worship. And and there's some clear connections, right? You would worship in a lot of the same ways in terms of your actual activities. You know, you can do ritual, you can do praise, you can do offerings. Um, but additionally, you know, the idea that um, you know, why would we be doing these things other than feeling like a wholesome, like good person, thumbs up, you care about your grandparents who've passed on. That's really cool. Um, we would do that really for the same reasons that potentially we outlined as benefits to our current reality, um, in the real world, you know, in the same way that we would benefit from worshiping gods. We benefit from um, connecting with our ancestors. So they can provide us protection. They can provide us certain abilities, um, whether that's, um, you know, the power of um, divination or, you know, strength or whatever. Um, We also would benefit in potential manifestation. So everything that we benefit from in a way that we would worship our ancestors. Um, it's the same thing as gods and vice versa. So I just want to make that potential connection. Yeah. All right. And then we're going to get into fire a little bit there and, and action. So um, I wanted to share a little bit of my practice and, and kind of what that looks like. So it's actually sitting and, and you guys won't be able to see it, but it's directly behind where we record this podcast um, is where my ancestor altar is. And um, it's like a wall. Like it's not, sometimes altars are like on top of a tabletop or on top of um, like a, like a dresser or, or something like that. But ours is um, 
wall shelves. So it's like three really long wall shelves. Um, and then each one of those sections is for someone in our family. So um, it has up there my papa, my mama, um, my partner's mom who passed when he was very young, um, his grandparents who have passed now. Um, and then kind of how, how I honor them is, is just making note of the things that we knew about them, right? We didn't necessarily know everything about them. We won't remember everything about them, but even small details like that my mama was left-handed. So whenever I put her coffee or her water up there, I always put it on the side where her left hand would be because she's left-handed. She would have used, you know, that hand. Um, I also keep a plant for each person. Um, and that is a way for me to care for something for the dead. So um, the plants aren't necessarily tied to them. I mean, I do when I start looking for plants for them, try to pick something that I'm like, I think they would like that or um, this reminds me of them in some way. So um, like I have a purple plant for somebody I know loved the color purple. Um, mm. So things like that. So um, through the act of like caring for something, watering something, nourishing something for them, to me, it's, it's a way to take care of them. Um, I always keep water out for them. Um, I have noticed that some people's water drains before other people's do, despite it being in the same part of the house, in the same place, in the same humidity. And so uh, just keeping an eye on those and keeping those kind of topped off. Um, I do put out coffee weekly for those who drink coffee. Um, as I get to know kind of my partner's ancestors, you know, if they drink tea, I'll put out tea. Um, just something kind of as a pick me up for them. Um, anything that I make by hand food wise, um, that is, you know, not just our like normal dinner, I'll put out for them as well. So like I have banana bread in the oven right now. Um, and once that is done and cools down, like I'll cut some small pieces, um, to put out for them. A note with that though, is that it's tends to be frowned upon to like leave those out past, uh, their freshness. So, you know, when you start to see it, it's done like a day or two from now it'll be done and I'll pull it. Um, I also keep kind of trinkets and small items. So um, for instance, my partner's mom, he has like this small glass unicorn trinket that was hers. Um, unicorns were something that she really loved. And so I keep that out there on the altar because otherwise it's just going to sit in a shelf or in a drawer somewhere. Why not put it somewhere where she can enjoy it? Um, my mama made a baby blanket for me, uh, a Barney baby blanket that I have inside of a wooden box beside her picture that actually has the inscription of, um, her last handwriting to me before she passed, I was getting ready to go on a school trip and, um, she had written me a card. It was right before the holidays. And so it says, I hope you enjoyed your trip. Love mama Pat. Um, so I've put it got it ingrained on a box um, to put the blanket in. And it, it's cool because as much as it was like about that trip, it was, I, I also like to think that she's wishing me well on this trip of life. And so um, I put it up there kind of as a reminder about her. Um, I also have a painting of the Blue Ridge Mountains beside my pawpaws. Um, well, behind his picture, it really like takes up his whole space um, because that Dagon Mountain was so damn important to him. Um, he would not come off of it even when he, you know, really needed like assistance and and really could have like used a home health nurse or somebody to be, he was not going to come off that damn mountain. So uh, it was important to him. So I put it up there for him. Um, and that's really the long and short of, of my practice and kind of what it looks like on like a week to week, day to day. Uh, what about you, Oak? What, what do you have going on? I, I just love the detail of 
a person being left-handed and you changing the orientation of the cup. Ugh, I'm just so you know, here just for the it. little the little things. I have a planter that's actually a um, a paintbrush holder like mm-hmm. for an artist because one of our ancestors was an artist and so I put a plant in that because you know just just things to remember and and keep their memory alive. Yeah, I I imagine too the fact that you're working with your partners ancestors and making space and they're kind of coming around to that 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 mm-hmm. must also help strengthen your own relationship. Um yeah. too. Like just, you know whether or not he's really into it and maybe yeah. it's just the playing along the fact that you take such interest in who he is and who he, you know, where he came from. I think that that's, I'm sure it's really meaningful for him too. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I do think because his mom passed when he was so young, there's only so much he actually remembers. Um, and so to take those, those few details and make them important, um, I think helps to kind of minimize the, well, I didn't know a whole lot about her. And so um, I don't feel like I really deserve to like commemorate or venerate her. No, of course you do. She was your mom. And and whether you remember a whole lot about her isn't super important, um, but she was important to you. And that was probably definitely the most devastating thing that had happened up until that point in your life. So um, of course we should honor and, and remember what you remember about her. And so I think it's opened kind of those doors into um, maybe releasing some like guilt or shame about um, not knowing them really mm-hmm. well um, and, and feeling like, well, so many other people knew them so much better than I did, but you still deserved to feel that right. And to, to honor that. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. Um, it's really, f- 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 I didn't think about this, Danny, when we were scheduling this recording on Mother's Day about <laughs> ancestral worship. And my mother also passed when I was young. I think you're attracting people like that, Danny. Is it me? <laughs> Am I the. <laughs> you're the drama. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, just trying to mother everyone. You are. I feel like maybe needs needs some. Do you need a mom? I'm yes. here. I'm yes, here for please. it. <laughs> Somebody needs to be in charge of me. I I can't do this. <laughs> um, no. So um, yeah, I mean, my my mom passed on when I was um, 15, really tragically, and um, and I did not have a good relationship with her. And so it's definitely ancestor veneration has helped me do a lot of healing in a lot of ways. Um, but I just thought it was so ironic that of course we planned the ancestor veneration episode on mother's day. I'm like, okay, I hear it. Okay. Right. Well, Um, I don't even think it's that we, I think it's, it's definitive that we did not plan it. Yeah. Ended up here. Right. It had to be this day. There was like right. literally another day it could have been. Yeah. So interesting. Um, so for me, you know, I, I have up until this point really only worked with the women in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a relationship with really any of the men. Um, my dad was adopted. So that's creates its own kind of challenge on my mom's side. Um, her father uh, was an alcoholic and died when I was a baby. And then I did know my great grandfather because all of my family is Southern and had children when they're 15. Right. Right. (laughs) So my, yeah, my great grandparents (laughs) were definitely around, uh, when I was a kid. Um, but it was actually my 
great grandmother's second husband. Um, she divorced in a time when it's like uncommon because he was her first husband was really abusive. And so uh, Hansel is not the cutest name. Oh my gosh, Lorraine and Hansel. I can't even. Lorraine. Uh, I was like, it could only have been Gretel, but okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Lorraine's pretty close. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I didn't have a lot of connection with him. There wasn't any, like, shared blood necessarily. And I know that he was definitely good in our family. My, my family is absolutely uh, based in matriarchs. Um, <laughs> the, the the men are, are really just, like, accessories um, to, to the <laughs> lady story. Um, so I've only, yeah, I've only really worked with um, women in my family. Um, so for me, you know, I also have an altar and, um, moving into this house, I, since I had a whole room that I could have a ritual room in, I moved my ancestor altar into my ritual room. Um, but previously I had it in my dining room and I would like have breakfast kind of with them and like have their pictures there and, um, kind of mentally have a bit of a conversation around like, updates and things like that. And I really am missing that. So I think I'm actually going to be moving the, um, altar out there. Um, the, my altar is also shelves on the wall. So I'll be drilling more holes in walls. I love to do that. That's my favorite thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think food and family, um, were, I think it's probably, most people are that way. It's a really strong connection um, because smell and um, taste is such a strong scent um, connected with memory. But I think beyond, beyond that, like eating with your family is a very human experience. Um, so yeah, so I think anything kind of connected to food, I actually do a dumb supper um, for Samhain where I set a table with all of the place settings for um, all of my ancestors, women, apparently only. <laughs> I didn't actually even realize that until I was like, wait, it's all ladies, right? I didn't even see them as women because they're like. It is ladies night. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're all so strong. I'm like, yeah, these are these are people who are in church. Um, at any rate, I, so I put uh, their pictures up and I cook, you know, big Southern um, dinner with like collard greens okay. and pork chops, breaded pork chops, right? Because pork meat's breading, apparently. Um, and uh, yeah, and um serve them next to their picture and, uh, tell stories and then spend some time in, um, kind of quiet contemplation. Um, my partner participated last year with me and it was real awkward. <laughs> like being like, you can't talk, just sit there and eat is, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's awkward. Uh, so I made it, the rule, like we'll spend like an egg timer worth of time, not talking in like right. a moment of silence rather than an extended period of silence. Cause it just felt wrong. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Dumb supper. I'm loving that. Love it. Um, I actually have heard versions of that where like, I guess probably to bridge that like quietness gap, um, people have like instead like gone around the table and told stories about yeah. the people at the yeah. table to like keep their memory alive and, and to kind of promote people to be like, oh my gosh, no, I can't believe they did that. Did that really happen? You know? Yeah. Um, because yeah, I I don't know how you did it. I wouldn't have been able to shut the fuck up long enough. Um, I mean, I'm a fast eater, so. <laughs> 
Perfect. Uh, but yeah. Um, I think in this kind of fire topic of actions, I think we wanted to touch on the idea of leveraging a modern tool like, you know, DNA um, testing for genetic markers of um, where your family came from historically. Um, so like I use like ancestry.com. Um, and I think you also use this as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I kind of had a good idea because my parents are both from the same geographic area that like my history would be pretty relatively the same for both of them and they are. Um, but yeah, I did use it just out of curiosity because my um, mama for years and years and years told us that like somewhere in our lineage, we were um, indigenous. And I was like, Okay, uh, sure, Mama. But I wanted to actually plug it in somewhere and kind of see, okay, where where did that happen in our in her lifetime that she recalls? So, and you proved it. I I did. I actually got yeah. pictures of um, it was her great grandfather. So it would have been my great 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 grandfather. Um, so yeah, it was my Mama's great grandfather. So it was someone that she distinctly remembered. And I got pictures of him to be like, oh, he like was not, you know, a pale, pasty Irish Swiss person <laughs> like us. Uh, so, um, you know, and I, I only have a name and a picture, but it still is really interesting to like see it and to see it show up percentage wise, you know, in my genes. Yeah. My, as I said, my dad's adopted. So for me, it was really interesting. I had no idea what was potentially the results were going to be. Um, but yeah, so um, you know, I have like English and Irish and Scottish and, and Jewish and Nigerian. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so not surprised to see the Nigerian aspects, uh, since I live in the South and, um, slavery clearly, uh, was going to affect a lot of people's DNA. Um, I'm always surprised actually, like when you said you didn't have any African, I was yeah. like, wow, okay. <laughs> Y'all were not that far South then, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> we were just poor. That's yeah. You were the indentured servitudes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we came over from Scotland, uh, probably as indentured servants. So we didn't <laughs> own any land. We didn't have anything to pass down to anybody. Uh, we were in Appalachia. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated, you know, especially having a father who is resistant against finding his family. Um, it was cool for me to see, they have this thing specifically on ancestry.com, um, called like through lines and it'll show you kind of over the years, how your genetic markings from parent one or parent two, um, how those migrated. And, you know, my, my mother's side came in, um, and specifically settled in Florida, um, North Florida and Georgia. And then my dad's family were far, further north and um, were in the, the Appalachian area. Um, so yeah, it was. it's really cool that they could actually separate it by parent. That was yeah. like really exciting to me. You can see the history even if they don't know their history or, you know. It's very cool. Yeah. And it was really cool to be able to pull up photos, you know, and these are like photos that other people have uploaded because somewhere in their family lines, you know, we connect and, oh, it was so cool to see images that otherwise would be completely lost to me. This is not a plug for Ancestry.com. We are not being <laughs> sponsored, um, but Wouldn't it is Wouldn't that be the really weirdest neat. sponsorship though? <laughs> Too. Uh, <laughs> just putting it out there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, let's transition into um, 
the water um, aspects of this topic. So talking about um, kind of history and uh, I think primarily we're talking about history here. So I don't know if everyone is like, you know, had this point of view that I had, but as a child, when I would hear like ancestor worship, you know, I would often think of, you know, South America or maybe Eastern cultures or African cultures being kind of synonymous with um, the ancestor veneration. I didn't really think about, you know, Celtic or Welsh people or Scandinavian people having that practice as well. But as I'm doing research, it was actually, I could not find proof of any kind of ancient peoples that didn't have some version of ancestor veneration. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that I could really point to was um, ancient Greek times, there were a group of uh, philosophical people who had um, kind of an atheist point of view. And if you don't believe in a God, then you probably also don't believe in an afterlife. So we could deduce, not that it has any proof that potentially they didn't worship or connect with or honor their ancestors um, mm-hmm. because they were kind of more atheistic with their point of view. And they, um, these were the Epicureans. Um, so food was their God. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> they, Thanks, this is but also, Um, but yeah, this was the only group that I could really find any mm, theories of not having that historical ancestor veneration. Very cool. Um, so then we want to talk about like, was there first documentation of ancestor veneration? I, I think similar to when we talked about deity worship, there isn't anywhere that like where it just like pops up suddenly i think as long as humans have existed we've had peoples and when those peoples died we were sad about it and we wanted a way to grieve them to honor them to come back and remember them um and so i think between burial rites and things like that it we really had a hard time finding like a first this was the first example of ancestral yeah. generation that i mean there's there's like there like eight that will like point to the most recent discovery of proof of like burial grounds. But as you know, time continues, we continue to uncover new artifacts that then date back even further. So it would be kind of silly for us to point to currently the most ancient version. (laughs) Because like Mm -hmm. uh, you have to assume that we're going to keep doing this, right? Um, Give it another two years. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the the biggest thing is like any ancient peoples that buried their dead probably weren't doing it for just logistical reasons. Mm -hmm. And we see that as um, proof when they are building structures. So burial mounds, right? These like monoliths, anything that took a lot of time when time was valuable because you were trying to eat and live Mm -hmm. and survive. Anytime, you know, someone would, would spend energy caloric energy to build for the purposes of burial can be proof of ancestor veneration in some way, whether it's just respect, but we would also probably to do some type of connection. Yeah, absolutely. And then we thought it would be interesting just to kind of talk about some different cultural ancestor veneration practices, ancestor worship practices kind of around the world. Um, and kind of point out some similarities and some differences. I pulled one here that was really interesting to me from Madagascar, and it's Famdahana, and it's essentially the reburial of their dead that they exhume. 
to rewrap in fresh silk. So this idea of like, like I'm talking about changing out the water, right? Or changing out this idea that like we want to bring the dead up again to keep them fresh or to keep the things that we wrap them in fresh for them. Um, and then they take the time during the reburial of the person to honor them, to celebrate them in their life. Um, really just seemed like a really a sweet thing to do, especially, you know, I don't know what their burial practices look like prior to, but just imagine like those silks, like having to like unwrap them and peel them mm-hmm. off the body, the delicacy you would have to use to do that. I've seen um, some videos of this process. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a, like the whole community kind of coming together. And I don't think they do this with everyone. I think they do this mm-hmm. with like certain people, but uh, I mean, I like fresh sheets. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure yes. that won't change when I'm gone. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then in Rome, they had a nine day festival um, called Parentalia. Uh, parent, I assume being the the base word there, um, to celebrate ancestors. It reminded me the way it was written, um, very similar to like Dia de los Muertos, like the idea that you like go to the place where your dead are buried and you share a meal with them and leave offerings to them and share conversation and space with them kind of in this belief that during this time that there's this liminal space where spirits can more easily kind of come over and you can commune with them. And now... Danny's going to try to pronounce a Welsh word. And so the, the Welsh, um, they have Helen Gaeth. And if you uh, are Welsh and, and offended by that pronunciation, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm doing my best here. Um, Wait, do it again. Helen, I think it was really good, actually. Helen Gaeth. There's a, yeah. there's, it's because all the vowels, you know what I mean? It's so many mm-hmm. vowels put together that my American dialect is like, I don't know how to say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the first day of winter in Wales is known as Caelan Gaeth. And it's believed that at this time, the spirits of ancestors can kind of move between that liminal space. We can commune with them during this time. And so what was interesting to me is that people in Wales traditionally avoid cemeteries during this time um, with the belief that like maybe malevolent spirits are more likely to um, intervene with you at this time. Um, but the traditional way to honor one's ancestors during Kalen Gaeth is to avoid encounters with negative spirits um, by writing your name on a rock and placing it near a fire, which I, I'm sure that there's some symbolic, some semblance there and some uh, magical purpose there. But um, just an interesting thing from there. Tell me yeah. something about Scotland. I think you had some stuff about yeah. Scotland here. I mean, okay, so I don't know if a lot of people can – make clear divisions in Celtic, Gaelic um, mm-hmm. cultures. That's like a whole conversation. And there is a lot yeah. of nuance there around, you know, the different tribes um, in that space. But um, separate from Welsh, uh, we could look at um, Scottish people's celebration um, of, of Samhain, um, this being a Celtic holiday. Um, and it is marking the end of fall and the beginning of winter, right? So it's during when Halloween modernly is. And they believe that ancestors, of course, could walk among the living um, at will. And so to both honor, honor your ancestors, and also, as you kind of pointed out, they, you know, very much had uh, belief in fae, um, you know, spirits of the land. Uh, we could go into a, another definition of what fae is, but um, 
often, you know, they were trying to protect themselves against negative fey encounters. Um, but the celebrants, if they would kind of offer food and drink um, and offer departed family members like a seat at the feast, um, then, you know, they would be kind of protected from that. And so um, when I say that I kind of practice like a dumb supper, it is through this um, Celtic tradition that I'm that I'm referencing. Um, and, you know, I, I would, we'll have a reference, um, to a website. This website is amazing. I kind of discovered it, uh, in looking for kind of ancestral topics. Um, this website is all about helping people plan end of life, um, care and like logistics. It's amazing. I'm so, I'm, it's very practical yet morbid. I love it. Um, it's called, uh, joincake.com. We'll, we'll, we'll put a note in the, um, in the show notes, but, uh, they have this great article that, you know, outlines just different examples of it. And I'm pulling some examples here, um, specifically one, uh, of the Buddhist holiday, Pechumben, P-C-H-U-M-B-E-N, Pechumben, um, this ancestral day, which was caring for the dead ritual, and what they would generally do is they would celebrate as far back as seven generations. They would be honoring specifically those ancestors, which I think is novel to my um, research, which is to have like this definitive seven generations mark. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's like taxes. <laughs> right. <laughs> too soon. I know. I know. It's too soon. <laughs> Um, but I just like this, like clear cutoff. Sorry, eight generations. We don't care. Um, but this would be for 15 days each year, and the families would create offerings of food, and they would bring this, you know, to the places of worship. Um, you know, the the Buddhist monks would get involved, and by making um, this kind of offering to the monks, um, they would help the ancestors kind of depart into the spirit world, um, and the. The, in exchange, uh, the monks would do chanting all night um, and really kind of do these complex um, ceremonies. But we'll put a, a link to this article. And of course, you can read on and on. I don't want to speak too much about cultures that I'm not a part of or not really called to, but I just thought that was um, as points of kind of difference in how these things take on um meaning in different places, how like involving monks was really interesting. And then also having that clear line in the sand around how far back you actually go. So yeah. Very cool. All right. And then I think we want to get into kind of earth integration, the the mundane challenges of of ancestor veneration and, and how that works. And I think one of the first things we want to touch on is is problematic ancestors. You know, we never know when our day is going to be, when when it's all going to be over. And so um, you know, maybe someone didn't leave on the best terms. Maybe um, you didn't have the best relationship with them at the time of their death. Maybe you know them, you have a name, but you don't know a lot about them because they were intentionally excluded from your life because of the way that they loved their life while they were here. So what do you do in those scenarios where maybe you kind of feel like they should be on your altar because they're family, but you don't really know what to do with them? So what, yeah. what do you think about that, Oak? Well, I have a clear example. Um, yeah, my, my mother and I were not on good terms at all, um, even at the point of her passing. And um, I honestly, I, th I think it's why it's been a block for me in a lot of ways. Um, 
making that connection with her required me to do a lot of like kind of forgiving, but also kind of growing and remembering that her experience was unique to her. And it was, um, you know, it's, it, it's not necessarily exactly how I remember it. Right. Like, so if the problematic aspects of your family are based on personal relationships, I think it's easier to, um, rectify because you can personally kind of take charge, do healing, um, meditate, ask for answers, um, and create kind of compassion, even when it's like things that maybe didn't deserve forgiveness. We, we like to believe that as spirits transcend, they know better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these people were alive in a time that is different from our own, obviously, and, and all of the different um, social morals and mores of the time. And so it's sure, you know, you can continue to harbor um, pain or frustration or anger towards a person who has passed on and who is now an ancestor of yours. Um, but there's also potentially benefit in um, forgiveness and like shadow healing and making that connection for your own benefit. Um, so I don't think you got to do it, <laughs> you know, like I don't think, it, I mean, my mom passed away when I was 30 and it really, or when I was 30, when I was 15 and it probably wasn't until I was like 30, like mid thirties that I really was interested in remembering her and her life and trying to think through my memories and question my memories as being mm-hmm. the way they were and try to create kind of like, again, that empathy for her situation. Um, so yeah, it, it can be a whole bucket of worms. It can be <laughs> a yeah. lot of shadow work as well. Um, and you don't have to do it if you don't want to. And if you want mm-hmm. to, great. And if you want to at a later time, great as well, right? It's not right. working with your ancestors. I think I have recently come to the understanding that they will help uh, me connect with divinity. They'll also help guide me. And I believe that they have guided me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am benefiting from that. But it's certainly not mm-hmm. something that anybody has to do or right. um, there's no other way through um, uh, uh, except for connecting with your ancestors. Um, so if it's problematic and painful um, for you, then you know don't do it. And you can do it a later time or you could never do it. It's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's not a this or that, right? Like, well, if I'm going to practice ancestor veneration, it has to be, it doesn't. Um, and the book that I referenced earlier talks really well about that. You know, at what point you want to cross that bridge and you want to make that connection, you totally can, but um, you're really in the driver's seat of this whole thing um, and not getting lost in the like, well, the ancestor veneration, like the ancestors lead. No, you're in the driver's seat of this. So if you want them on your altar, then do that. Um, if you mm-hmm. don't, then don't. If you want them at a later time, like you said, then great. Bridge that. Yeah. I mean, in, and you but- can, I could have worked with my grandparents and, you know, not my mother. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Nothing's stopping you from that. And then we we're talking about sensing resistance to practice and and maybe unwilling participation. Um, and I have uh, lots of experience with this. Um, again, with my papa, look at him sitting up there. He looks ornery in his picture. He just is he looks handsome. Um, I'm just he's saying, very handsome. And that's it. why I got away with being so ornery. Uh, <laughs> somebody yeah. out there knew he would have to be attractive to be this ornery. Um, and so, anyways, he totally like 
his glass is the only one that's always empty. Um, his candle is the only one that always goes out. His plant's always the one that's struggling. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that like, for me, I've decided my way through it is to listen, you're going to be up here because you were important to me and you can be as honorary as you want to. I didn't expect anything less because that's how you were in life. So, um, I'm just going to continue to treat you the same way I would if you were physically in my house. Um, and then now that I've started adding my partner's family members up there, the, definitely the energy up there has changed a little bit. Some things are, are a little bit different. Um, I think at first his grandparents' plant um, immediately took a bizarre downturn for no apparent reason. Um, and then now it's starting to like liven back up as I've like put out offerings for them and, and set out things like in remembrance of them. And I think it could have been like a who the hell are you? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. what is this? What is this? What are you doing? Um, and they also were Christian people, right? So how do you bridge that gap with people who maybe didn't share your religious beliefs? Um, and now they are potentially part of your practice or are part of your belief system. What does that look like? Um, and again, that book um, that I referenced earlier on your in your ancestors also talks through kind of the logistics of, of doing something like that, um, particularly with ancestors who maybe don't appreciate witchcraft, uh, don't want any parts in that, you know, is it okay to put them on your altar? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of complications when it comes to ancestry veneration. It's as complicated as family dynamics, right? Like Mm -hmm. what if you were fine with them, but they weren't fine with each other, right? What if there was abuse between, you know, one of your ancestors and the other, and you want both of them on your altar? Like that is something to consider the dynamics of. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. As it should be, I guess, you know, <laughs> and if it was complicated in life, why wouldn't it be complicated in death? You know? <laughs> You're right. right. And then, you know, what if you don't know your ancestors? Again, not all of us have that privilege. Um, not all of our parents had that privilege. And so, you know, what do you do if you don't have that relationship? And I think, um, one, ancestors of the land, right? You, you are a person of place. You can be a person of the place where you are or a person of a place that um, is sacred to you. Um, and so you can honor that on your ancestor altar or those deity on your ancestor altar. Um, DNA. So we mentioned, you know, taking those DNA tests and kind of seeing, okay, well, maybe what culture am I from? Um, what deity mm-hmm. is associated with that what important spiritual figures are associated with with that culture um and then from there i think also if you know something about your ancestors but maybe you don't know their physical names there's always that ability to put something on the altar to represent them so we know someone who um knows that they have some african heritage but they don't know who those people are and so, you know, as with history and with time and, and the horrible non-documentation of enslaved people, those names are lost to us. Those histories are lost to us. And so um, what's great about kind of knowing that information is that you can put something there to represent them. And so although you don't know their names, you don't know preferences, you don't know likes, you have something up there to acknowledge that they their existence and, and to show your appreciation for them, even if you don't have a lot of historical background for them. Yeah. And um, kind of playing on the land, um, ancestors of place, um, 
Or if you live in the U.S., you uh, live on stolen land. And so uh, whether or not your ancestors have lived in a place for a long time, someone was here before them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So researching, understanding the cultural differences, the name of the tribe, uh, making offerings to them. Um, I came from a little small town and there it was named after a chief uh, that was part of the tribe. And so uh, he lives on, he's actually the only dude on my altar. Um, awesome. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And so that particular chief, um, you know, on some level, I feel a lot of resistance to doing that because I am culturally, you know, part of the people that took the land. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. however, I think it's all about your intention and reverence and, um, I'm not necessarily asking for anything. I'm more so just giving reverence to, um, so I think that's something to consider, which is like creating ancestor veneration, not for the purposes of gain, but just for the purposes of like recognition and respect. Uh, that is a potential play in that way. Yeah. And then I think you had a really important uh, epiphany while we were kind of putting these together, but you know, that we are future ancestors, uh, which oh, makes me, yeah, it makes me feel very <laughs> um, finite uh, in this moment, <laughs> very like, like I have a, an expiration date. Um, but yeah, you know, we are future ancestors. And so when you're thinking about building this practice, what would you want Right? How how would you want to be represented? Um, what and maybe not to the nitty gritty details of like I liked tea versus coffee or you know, but imagine what you would want there, and then you can build that practice off of that. For me, I knew that was plants. For me, I was like I want something that I can care for them and show care for them by keeping something alive for the dead. That that was something that I would want for me. Um, is that something? in that cycle of birth and death and rebirth, that something is kept alive for me upon my death. And so um, that was really kind of an epiphany moment for me when you said that. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's essentially how I built my practice is I was like, what would I want to have up here mm-hmm. if this was me, you know? Well, I'm glad that you had that thought because I didn't. Um, Oh, no, you said it. I was like, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I was more so um, thinking about the idea of, you know, when we're journaling, um, potentially we're creating documents that our future family could read and could reference. Like, I don't have, you know, love letters from my family to each other. I don't have journals from anybody. Um, and it would have been really special. And I feel like I could have connected with them even deeper if I did have those resources. And I know um, a lot of families with means, I think, have more artifacts <laughs> that survive, right. sure. um, frankly. Uh, but thinking about also when we're talking about ancestors, we're, we're also talking about the fact that people have passed on. So I do want to also point to you will be you could be a, a, a venerated ancestor in the future. You also will be someone's burden to bury and to um, deal with the logistics of passing. And so thinking about, you know, we talked about 
you know, making wills, uh, thinking through the morbidity aspects of that process. Um, that website, I think is a really great reference of like, how yeah. do you actually plan for end of life? This is how the hell is this not something that is talked about in high school? Like screw home taxes, ed. Not everybody's going to cook. Everybody's <laughs> going to die. You know, right. yeah. how did we not? Ugh, anyways. Um, so thinking about, both yourself as like, you know, it's great to leave things for people and to, you know, but it's also great to not leave them with burden. Um, Mm -hmm. So that would be potentially something that's very down to earth in this topic (laughs) that we could connect to. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything else on the topic, Danny? No, I mean, I think we've kind of exhausted all of our, our collective knowledge here. So I think we're about ready to close it up then. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I I mean, the details of your practice and how you share that, um, I really appreciate it and am inspired by it. You're so sweet. Um, No, I I really appreciate too, like seeing someone else's practice because I really built this off of that book that I referenced earlier and and was really thinking through the logistics of like, what would I want to see if I was, if my face was up there, what would I want to see? And so um, it's really cool, I think, to see other people's practices and be like, oh, no, that's awesome that you keep something up there for the names you don't know, you know, on mm-hmm. on your ancestor altar, because I don't have that. I'm a very finite, real person, mm-hmm. it, visual. Um, and so I think it's really cool to maybe even put my great, 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 great grandfather up there because I, I only have a name for him, but he was important, you know, to our history. So, you know. Yeah. Well, thank stuff. you for being so specific. I, I hope it's it's always inspiring to me. And we know that we're only doing this podcast for selfish reasons. So thank you. Um, (laughs) All right, guys. Well, we will follow up with another episode and hear in about, I guess, by the time you're listening to this about two weeks from then. So um, as always, which is blessed be and be well. Bye. Bye.